0: Hello, hello, guys. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm really excited for today's episode. If you are interested on the one hand in developing brand relationships with equestrian businesses or being sponsored or anything on the digital side of social media, this is the episode for you and on the other side of the coin if you are somebody who has studied digital marketing if you're interested in helping someone foster those relationships if you help people with their social media whatever it might be in the space this is also for you because we covered a lot of topics Um, Avril has a business doing marketing and business consulting within the equestrian space with a lot of big name brands and big name businesses. And she has a lot of experience, but not only that she owns her own retail company, of course, which is my barn child. Um, and she had a great story about how that happened and what the brand has morphed into today and her experience, you know, being in the digital space, um, From her perspective as a business owner, but also as a mother, because she has a daughter, Eden, who was growing up in the sport and wanting to obviously compete to a certain level and influenced by social media, which I know a lot of young people are. So there was great conversation and discussion around how to navigate those relationships and what to look out for, you know, online. Um, It is a big prevalent, and I don't want to say Issue, I think the better word is maybe challenge when it comes to parenting at this time, not only in the equestrian industry, but just in general, because of how much influence social media has on young people's lives. So that was a really interesting conversation. And she shared a lot of her professional advice, you know, when it comes to the marketing side of things, if anybody's interested in pursuing a freelance business or a digital marketing business in the equestrian space. Lots of good advice around research and what to start with. Um, And then she also, you know, shared a lot of her own personal experience dealing with comparison or dealing with um, navigating even the pandemic with the business. Um, So there was a bunch of different areas that we touched on and it was a great episode for anyone who's kind of interested from both sides. If you are looking to pitch yourself to brands and develop those relationships, versus if you're actually looking to support writers and professionals, um, businesses in the space that may not be as adept at digital marketing or marketing themselves online. It's a great conversation. So, if you enjoyed, make sure you reach out to Avril and tell her what you liked, what you didn't like. And if you have any questions for her, she'd be really happy to answer those. I hope that you guys enjoy this episode and I will let you get into it. Welcome to the Spring in Equestrian podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Parr, and this is the place to be for all things equestrian lifestyle, horses, entrepreneurship, and inspiration for all of your equestrian endeavors. I'm here to get your insider's addition to what it's really like having a business or career in the equestrian industry and find out how people balance their passion and their businesses. I'm so excited to have you here with me, so come along for the ride. I'd like to thank today's episode sponsor, Hote Equestrian. Hote Equestrian is your modern source for equestrian jobs. They empower equestrian businesses and enthusiasts through accessible and high quality services and products. On their website, you can scroll their featured job postings and candidates looking for work, as well as advertised positions that you're hiring for or shopping to fill. They offer recruitment services, business management, and sustainably sourced products in their essentials boutique. The best part of all this, it's available on a mobile app. Check them out at www.hoteek.com.
1: Well, I've had horses my whole life. Most of the women on my mother's side of the family have had horses in some capacity or another. So I came to it that way. Although it's the nature versus nurture, you kind of never really know whether or not you'll fall in love with horses without your mom nudging you. Um, So yeah, I've had horses pretty much my whole life with short stints where I didn't in university or when my daughter was very young. But um, yeah, I horse showed as as a teenager and a kid in British Columbia, I grew up in Vancouver and then just kind of kept riding in one capacity or another as a young adult and then got back more into it when my daughter started riding when she was about six. So then it just kind of took off from there in different directions. and Now we're fully steeped in the equestrian lifestyle in every way possible.
0: Yeah. So what took you from Vancouver to here?
1: School. So I went to college in California for a few years. Originally, my family is from there. And then to so I got my associate's degree in just general arts in California and then moved to Ontario to finish my bachelor's degree at the University of Guelph. Um, Guelph was interesting to me because of the vet college and, you know, because it is an equestrian community, but then I studied philosophy and politics, which made absolutely no sense, but um, (laughs) still had horses while I was in university. So that's always been present, even when I was focusing on my education.
0: Amazing. Very cool. And so, you are the owner and founder of My Bar and Child, which is a retail brand for for pony people of all ages. What made you start this brand, and what were your initial goals? Oh,
1: well, my daughter started when she, riding when she was quite young, and at the time, I was working um, in the service industry and customer service. I had a lot of background in retail, and when my daughter started riding, she would be at horse shows and the typical horse show kid in between classes would have a $20 bill from her dad or from me and would go to the mobile tax shop and wasn't finding very much. She, you know, there were magnets and greeting cards and treats. But other than that, like there, at the time there were not a lot of brands that were really paying attention to kids as customers and kids who wanted to shop and wear sparkly things that didn't cost a hundred dollars. And so the focus really became that kid with the $20 bill you know, and so I was very lucky to be friends with Christy Lake, who owned uh, Dapha Gray at the time, and now owns Dreamers and Schemers Socks, and um, so she helped me to launch my brand through her tax shop, and it kind of took off from there, and then, uh, yeah, so it, it's been a really, really fun journey at the time, in you know, in the social media space people weren't really considering children to be customers at horse shows people weren't really considering children to be customers or just people that you could have great interactions and conversations with and so that became kind of the really the strength of the brand in the beginning is that it was so unique in that in that the idea was to just celebrate the little people in the sport
0: I love it yeah Yeah. And the focus on like the, you know, niching down an accessory. This is a thing right now, especially Christy's like the queen of accessories and like, just like making one thing so unique. Um, so that's, that's really interesting to me from like a retail perspective, but we can get into it later. Yeah. But- yeah. How has the brand developed or morphed over time? And then what were some of those like challenges or obstacles? Well,
1: when the brand started, I'd actually, when the economy downturn, took the downturn in 2009, I actually lost my job three times in four years and found myself in a position where I had just purchased a horse. My daughter was riding thanks to her dad and, you know, the financial commitments beyond just everyday stuff was pretty high. And I lived in a very small community at the time and met with somebody from Employment Canada who said who said it's going to be hard for you to find employment similar to what you had in the city. And so I thought, now is the time to just add, add to the income. That was the goal. And then it just became the income. And so, I actually started my barn child with $200 worth of employment insurance. And mainly in the beginning, it was the bridal charms, which I think we're now kind of like famous for and that was not the plan all along to be just a, a bridal charm business but that was the starting point and to build from there in terms of some of the challenges obviously lack of capital <laughs> was a huge one two hundred dollars so you have to push really hard to turn two two hundred dollars of V I into you know an income and we did that within six months which was crazy Um, in terms of rate of growth but that comes with challenges too when you're trying to parent and run your own business and you know juggle the commitments of being a competitive equestrian family um so yeah we we kind of hit all of the all of the roadblocks but we slowly introduce new products and still are um but yeah I think the challenges are pretty similar to anybody else who's out there who's trying to start something of their own it's figuring out what you want to do how you want to do it what your what your limitations are you know I think that's probably the biggest one for a lot of small businesses is realizing and addressing where the roadblocks are and, that, and that's definitely a learning process for everyone so yeah yeah
0: as far as like it's it's really nice for our audience to hear stories like this where you're like starting something with an idea obviously not a lot of capital sometimes it's really hard to come by for people <clears throat> as far as like is as far as obstacles was scaling one of them because it, obviously you need to create things and you need inventory if something takes off you need to be able to keep up with demand was was that something or just maybe an example of one of those things that you kind of ran into at the time?
1: Oh, absolutely. For sure, scale was probably, you know, maintaining inventory is the biggest one. When you're new to it and you don't quite know the retail industry, I didn't know equestrian retail from any perspective other than as a customer. So I had no idea what the demand would be. So there were times when I couldn't make money because I didn't have anything to sell. And then there were times that I was... I I was eager and then was sitting on a lot of product that wasn't going anywhere and had to really learn how to, you know, mesh the supply and the demand. Um, And also to making sure that we were maintaining the brand image that we really wanted to and not become so desperate that we were departing from what who and what we really wanted to be which I think a lot of brands can do they, they start really reaching to keep the business going and because of that they're not really staying true to their core beliefs so that was one real thing that we really tried to focus on um, yeah. as a brand
0: yeah. And it's actually like a challenge to stay authentic in that space, especially if you're coming from a place where like at the end of the day you need to make money. And I think that comes with everything in the horse world. Like you there's this balance that everyone really struggles with, staying authentic and also like financing your life. So I love that you brought that up.
1: Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. It's relevant in not just in business, in the, you know, retail business side of like for the my barn child, but also for my other business as well. You yeah, know, yeah. The, the struggle for riders in general on social media, like not to jump ahead too much, but with the idea of maintaining a social media that's professional and going to be productive and had good, have good return for for you financially and professionally, but also feel like you're really being yourself because in some ways having goods in a lot of ways, having a great social media is a lot of aud- auditing and editing of your content, which is yourself. So when you're on your, your own brand, it's de- for sure an issue of, you know, the authenticity versus productivity balance. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: That's such a good point. Like that's something I struggle with myself so much. It's like, okay on one hand you have a certain kind of level of professionalism you want to maintain and then you're you know also wanting to be a person and show your own personality and that is like a huge pain point for myself but I digress yeah (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. and I think a lot of people listening might struggle with that too you know like it's hard you want to be personable you want to be building real relationships and authentic and then you still want to like have a certain um the word is an image but just like the way that you're you're resonating with your clients has to be at a certain level of professionalism so
1: Yeah, that was particularly relevant related to my barn child and the brand image online for my barn child, because it was a kid centric brand. To be sure, we definitely have a lot of adult customers. It's amazing to me how, you know, people with 18 hand horses still have ponies (laughs) in their minds, but it's true. And um, so, but because we were really speaking to pony kids in person at pop-ups and then also on social media that we were very conscious of um, being authentic, but also not being bratty, you yeah. know, because we all have those thoughts or those moments. And I think where it became really relevant was, you know, for example, my daughter Eden was you know 13 or 14 at a horse show and she would have a hard day and she would cry or be in a mad, bad mood different from other kids it was on her radar to be thoughtful about what people saw of her publicly that she was entitled to have feelings of disappointment or having a hard day but that when somebody sees you crying they don't know why and they'll read into that so it's definitely an interesting journey for sure balancing all those things for for brand owners or professionals. You know, yeah. you, want, you want you don't want people to say that your social media is not genuine, but you also don't want to be controversial, particularly when you work a lot with children or speak yeah. with children.
0: Yeah, such a good point. So we'll circle back to that because I think this yeah. been really important to talk about. But one of the things that I'm sure that everyone felt as you did as well as a business and brand is is navigating through a pandemic. What was that like for you? What were the shifts? What does it look like now?
1: Well, the pandemic was obviously interesting and challenging for everybody. For me, as a business owner, it was. It had an added element of that was when Eden, my daughter, went away to start working, and she'd been very much a big part of the brand, essentially the face of the brand and the voice of it. And when you know we did pop-ups. Kids would come to see her. They would talk to me, but they came to take pictures with Ethan or things like that. And so, missing her not just personally, but from the brand, left a really big hole. And for a while, the excuse, the pandemic, also almost gave me an excuse to lay low and dial it down and figure out how I wanted to handle not having her around all the time. She's still very involved, but not present physically. She still does a lot of the social media. She helps me with a lot of the product ideas and, and we talk through everything together, but in terms of, you know, the in-person presence, she's, she's a much smaller part of it. So I needed time to recalibrate. So my adjustment to the pandemic was probably a little different than a lot of retail brands. So I just kind of, you know, kept it laid low for a little bit and kept it going, just kept it a happy place for people to shop and visit online and didn't really search for much growth during that time. Um, But I saw a lot of retail brands that struggled through it and a lot that were brilliant in how they navigated it, how they swerved and kept going and recreated themselves and adjusted their business plans. And it was really very encouraging to me to see how many people did survive it for sure. It had its um, it, its toll on a lot of businesses, but by and large in our industry, what I saw were most of us were fantastic at handling it. And that I think is really amazing, but you know, maybe it comes from a place of equestrians or athletes that tend to be kind of tough people that don't give up. So maybe the space we come from makes us better at, at handling those kind of situations you know, not the pandemic itself, but running a business within the pandemic. So that I was really proud to see how many businesses really did grew even during the pandemic. Yeah. yeah, You've seen it. It's so many just absolutely exploded and you have to clap for them because that is just so inspiring.
0: Yeah. We like, there is kind of a big space on social media for equestrians which also means that there's a lot of business opportunity there and the way that certain businesses leverage that opportunity and those relationships online during the pandemic actually you know really panned out for them and I'll I guess this is probably a relevant time to just kind of circle circle back to that so This whole social media idea and what are some of the things like the decisions that you made about my barn child and the way that you presented that brand online that are different from other brands
1: I think mainly it, it has been the hyper consciousness of the fact that there are so many children watching and reading that that has always been a major major game changer for us in terms of Um, what we present, how we present it. Um, We try and keep it light and humorous, even in challenging times, you know, in 2020, with the pandemic and Black Lives Matter, and there's a lot of, you know, social and civil issues, as well as the pandemic that people were grappling with. And we made a very conscious decision to be a neutral space. Personally, we have strong feelings about issues. As a brand, we made a conscious decision to be a happy place for kids to visit. In 2020, we did say if you are, we kept it general, if you are confused about what's going on, find an adult you can talk to and talk to them and don't stop talking until you feel better. Yeah. Because it's a big responsibility when you're guiding kids through hard times and A lot of them we don't really know children and I would prefer they speak to adults who know them and can monitor them after the conversation and understand where they're coming from before the conversation. So I'd say that was probably a big difference in how we've handled our social media is just always remembering, you know, who's watching. I think that's true of every brand. Every brand has kids following them. For us, it was a, it's a lot of children. So that's always been a major, major factor.
0: Yeah. And do you have any advice for parents navigating having children on social media? And obviously, I've experienced having a child in the equestrian industry specifically. There's a lot of things that come with that and social media in general. Um, And I'm sure you could probably speak on that, some tips or just some experience.
1: Yeah, uh, so speaking as a parent and somebody who works professionally in social media, um, I I also do, you know, the business consulting and the marketing consulting within the equestrian space. So I deal with... uh, number of different aspects of social media not just as a mom but as a parent or as parents when our kids get to that age that they start asking for instagram we think okay we're going to set them up with a username that's not their real name every you know privacy setting possible and you have to give me your passwords and then after that a lot of parents kind of just let their kids coast and unfortunately as the cliche goes the call is coming from inside of the house and typically a lot of the dangers, not the only ones, a lot of the dangers to kids online are right in their friends list. And it's people that they're following, that they are trying to aspire to be like, that are creating self-esteem issues or mental health issues, or they're being bullied and I hate to break it to a lot of parents, or their kids are participating in bullying in one way or, or another. And, you know, they're not always getting the greatest examples from adults on online. Some of the meanest people I've seen on the internet are grownups. And um, we all make mistakes and have misspeaks or missteps, me included. But um, I think that there really needs to be a higher level of vigilance with parents in terms of what their kids, not just what their kids post, but what their kids follow. I think a lot of kids, a lot of parents follow their kids, but they don't pay attention to who their kids are seeing and what they're ingesting is such a big part of their experience. It's a larger part of their experience than what they're actually posting. So, you know, I'm always a big advocate of you know, really, really, really talking to your children about their experience online. Ask your kid about their day on social media in the same way that you would ask your kid about their day at school because they are learning and becoming formed by Instagram as much as they are by their history teacher or their French teacher or their math teacher. And so because of that, I think what I would advocate to parents is to, to have a lot of conversations with, with their kids about what, what's going on for them on social media, what they like, what they don't like, what they see that they would change, things like that.
0: Yeah, that's such a huge part of children's lives right now. And it's becoming more and more prevalent. And, you know, I've had students with me for like over a decade that have grown up, you know, and I only see them for portions of time during the week, as they're changing, developing and learning. And it's very easy for me to see how influenced they are by what they're consuming online, the conversations they're having on their phone. And, um, and it's scary, like, as someone who isn't even a parent, myself, I like my heart is so in not just talking about you know the way that this social media and and being in an online space especially the last two years like that's how we've all interacted and unfortunately unfortunately like it's built connections but it's also just built life around being online and it, it deeply impacts every single kid um and i think it's a struggle because as a parent i would assume for myself too, that you don't want your child to be left out of certain things or feel like they're alienated because you're limiting their access to certain things. And at the same time, there's a very clear lack of control or just communication around those conversations that they're having online or what they're seeing or absorbing or, you know, like, and they're not emotionally intelligent enough at certain times to understand how they're being affected. So yeah. I, I don't know. We could do a whole podcast episode on it.
1: <laughs> oh, oh, for sure. And, but the coach relationship is actually really interesting, although there's not a direct parallel with social media. Most parents see how their children react to their coaches and they only see their coach a few few hours a week but they adore their coaches they look at them as another parental figure they start to dress like them your barn colors become their favorite colors your your jumper becomes the best jumper in the whole world they idolize it and they have more pictures in their phone of your horse than you do but if you as a coach are having that level of impact in just a few hours, then think about the other 20 hours your kid is spent looking at other people online and they're probably forming not the same, but similar bonds To other riders, other teenagers and things and even brands and businesses online that kids look to to become a part of something and that um, so when you see it as a coach how much your kids really bond to you that then you realize that they're also bonding to people online that you don't know or have any relationship with that then you really kind of realize the gravity of the relationships and the meta relationships or whatever the term is for it, but you know, that, that parents really need to be aware of who it is that their child is forming attachments to. Yeah. You know, because they are attachments.
0: Yeah. And therein lies my own challenge with trading content versus trying to be more authentic because As you know, like that's such a challenge for me because of course there's, there's those issues in attachment. You also want to be realistic. um, And you don't want people idolizing and I know that this happens a lot it happens with my own students they they're looking at what so and so is doing what so and so is showing what they're affording what they're showing off, and it's a highlight reel. It's very, right, it's very hard to navigate that because it's hard for, for younger people to understand that that's exactly what it is. And then as a person who is on social media, that's, of course, you know, you, you're curating it a little bit. It's not entirely real life. So everybody's kind of contributing in their own way, but it's an interesting balance.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Um, and speaking of, like, all of that stuff, you have a business doing marketing and business consulting in the equestrian space, um, brand management, social media management, all of that. So you're very well versed. How did that come about? What does it look like, and what services do you offer?
1: That was an interesting process, actually. So when we started My Barn Child, um, there were there was a lot more going on in mainstream retail and social media in terms of influencers, but in the equestrian realm there were only a few brands that really had influencers and um speaking of you know Christy Lake she she definitely was somebody who spearheaded that in the sport and then I had a group of uh, uh brand ambassadors which is what they're still called but that it was kind of what they were at the time And um, Horse Network, which was Horse Collaborative at the time, did an article on brands that they thought were really doing influencer marketing the right way. And they included my barn child in that. And so because of that, I got a little bit of recognition from, you know, other professionals within the industry and um, was offered some opportunities, including um, being the digital director of a very large equestrian man, uh, magazine for a couple of years. So through that, I managed an influencer an intern team of almost 100 um, under under 18. So it was a very special kind of niche because you have to be very thoughtful in how you communicate with unpaid people under the age of 18. So that that was definitely a Uh, A learning curve there and development of a lot of skills and then developed a lot of brand relationships and marketing relationships through that um, as well as. uh, A lot of writing i've always done writing professionally as a side gig through every job that i've had in my adult life and so that kind of took off. And then from there decided to go out on my own, and now I just do private clients. And the services that I provide for them, I always kind of joke and say, if it involves words, I am, uh, it, you know, I can help you with it. So everything from social media to marketing plans and strategy to business development from right to, from the start, problem solving for established businesses. Um, so I do, I help Barnes brands, businesses, individuals, riders, um, kind of covering everybody in the sport in one way or another. I've worked with some very big apparel brands, including um, some really big clothing brands, helmet brands, things like that. Um, Now I kind of focus on the smaller businesses typically who are um, either building or established, but but really want to take it to the next level and help them with pretty much it anything they need. Everything is a custom package for people. So, you know, sales agents who are selling horses, I help them tweak their their media and their strategies, help connect them with other agents and um, people that they can network with to move move horses. Um, I seem to have found a little bit of a place working with some tech companies. One of the companies I have worked with for several years is uh, Equo, and that's an app that's very similar to Uber or Expedia, and you book your horse transport as easily as you book yourself a ride home from a restaurant. So you go on and you you very easily arrange your horse transport with just a few clicks, and it's a huge network of professional shippers, and it's, it's a fantastic idea because... We all know that when we book horse transport, you post on Facebook and you wait for 18 replies or you call a bunch of people and you wait for 18 replies and then they don't show up or they show up and the trailer is dirty and not what you expected and it's not a professional driver. So they've really addressed all of those things that we would worry about or struggle with as, you know, professional equestrians needing to ship horses around. And so that's been a really great, great Product and company to work for. Um, I work with a sports psychologist um, and a number of different retail brands. So, um, yeah, and then also help them navigate when they sponsor with horse shows and need help with their contracts or things like that. Um, I work with riders, help them with putting together media kits, media training, public speaking training, things like that. Um, so yeah, like I said, it's, it's, uh, the, the spectrum is enormous, so, um, it's hard, hard to describe everything. <laughs>
0: but all of those skills are kind of, and, and those areas are kind of needed. If you are any kind of business in the space or entrepreneur, like you really do have to kind of be able to manage a lot of those areas. Um, and, and myself included. And from the other perspective of somebody listening who's got a couple of these skills or that's their area of interest doing some of this you know, digital marketing work, branding, connecting people, sponsorships, writing contracts, whatever it might be. What are some of the skills that people need to pursue a career in the industry? I would say let's like any in equestrian industry in digital marketing. Or branding you know managing people that need that because this is something that's becoming more more needed i think like there's more online presence of people they're starting to recognize you know influencers are really helpful for certain brands um, and those relationships are happening not just just strictly for professional writers anymore so do you have any thoughts on you know or advice for people listening who are interested in pursuing something like that
1: Yeah, for sure obviously I didn't go to school for equestrian marketing but you know I definitely learned on my feet as many entrepreneurs do um and so a lot of young equestrians are graduating from college with a marketing degree or and are hanging their shingles as a business which is excellent the start for them will be a little bit slow because if they don't have connections so that would be the number one thing that i would say is work on from the very start regardless of whether you want to go into marketing or whether you want to be a professional rider or influencer or an a trainer is build build those connections and they don't always need to be business transactions. Just start conversations with people and get to know them. Say hi to people at horse shows, you know, just so they know your face and they know your name so that later in whatever capacity you just decide to launch a business, whether it's retail or marketing, they know who you are. People always want to support their friends, always. So the best network you'll ever have for any business you start is your are your friends. The other thing I would say about Specifically about young people wanting to start in the marketing space is, um, it's easy for people to learn nowadays to make a pretty Instagram. Um, it's it's the 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 face of the skill set, but it, it the skill set should run much deeper than that. And the best way that I help businesses that I work with is that I understand that experience of being an entrepreneur. And I understand the experience of being a small business owner, not just the positive, but also the struggles and can help them through a lot of different aspects of their business from product development to, to you know, marketing, to staffing, customer service training, things like that. So, It's What I would say is, is it's not enough to just know how to make a beautiful looking Instagram. You have to understand your clients and that it's that understanding that helps you make not just a beautiful post, but a really effective post. So we can all find something and edit it and make it look great so that it gets clicks. But will those clicks translate? Where those clicks will translate into sales is when you as a marketer understand what the business owner needs from the, to move clients through yeah. to, to purchase. Yeah. And so that's really a part of the process that I think that a lot of young people should really focus on. And sometimes I know nobody likes to hear this. Sometimes that means interning and not getting paid. Yeah, And that shadowing a business owner, spending time with the retail owner, call a distributor, offer offer to come in and help them with certain things, you know, for a week that putting in that time, although it may not be paid, will pay off in how it accelerates you, your own business development because you're creating relationships and you're learning the back side of the businesses, not just the forward facing side, which is the social media. You, yeah. need to, you need to understand everything that goes on behind the curtain. And that's what probably my biggest suggestion to any young professional in equestrian marketing or otherwise. But equestrian entrepreneurs tend to be very, very good about being inviting to new people. So if you know a retail owner that's very successful and you would like to offer your time interning with them to learn a little bit more about how a business runs, they're very generous. And I know that the people who have done what I do, are also very generous with giving advice and help to young people um, who are willing to to listen and hear and spend time. So you, you know, not use people, but view people as a resource. But, um, you know, if you want somebody to spend hours teaching you, then, you know, give them a little bit of your own time too, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, exchange of value to try and
1: Not every transaction is about a dollar, right? Sometimes, yes. they, sometimes it's about knowledge. Or, you know, Rolodex is such an old word. I'm really aging myself with that one. But you know, <laughs> but but you know, the more friends you have, I always say, when you're a business, it's like being a kid on the playground. That you always kind of need bigger kids on the playground to watch out for you, and to help you out, and you know, catch you at the bottom of the slide, and help you climb the stairs, and things like that. But that then. You know, to pay it forward later and become the big kid on the playground, where you find people to mentor, and you know, then it creates a really great community of of people who support each other. The more the the, the more we all know, the more we all know, the more we all make, right? So, yeah. yeah, yeah. Everybody can everybody can be successful, and um, there's no lack of money in the sport. We always say that, right? <laughs> you know. So, you know, there, there's room for everybody and to help everybody. And, but, um, yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure. And that's helpful. I mean, there's lots of people who want to be involved in the space, but not necessarily in the traditional areas of work. And, um, there's also lots of writers that listen to this podcast that are professional or they're on their way to that for those people, um, or business owners in the industry that are like on the trainer side or whatever it might be. Do you have any advice around um, from their perspective, you know, pitching to brands or trying to collaborate with businesses and build those relationships? Um, I think I had a question somewhere about, you know, like those types of sponsors, sponsorship relationships or, or anything like that. Cause I know from the other side, there's people who, want to collaborate but they just don't know really where to start and they don't really know how to talk about themselves so i thought maybe you could share some advice
1: yeah for sure so one is you know depending on what somebody's financial abilities are they can always find somebody to act as their agent or advocate on their behalf when it comes to to sponsors you know people like me that's part of the job Um, when i work with with riders is help them to negotiate different relationships But if they're doing it on their own, I would say two things. One, really spend some time researching what brands you would like to be affiliated with. Have have your top tier wish list and uh, take the time to get to know the brand and make sure that it fits for you if you know people who are sponsored by them, you know, see. Talk to them and see what their relationships are like. Always keep your eyes open, but research brands. Don't just send out mass emails because a lot of these brands know each other and they talk. And if a rider is sending out, you know, I would like to be sponsored by you to 10 apparel companies on the same day probably eight of those companies are going to know that you sent it to 10. Yeah. Like they're going to say, Oh, did you get an email from so-and-so? So So I I would say really, really research and be selective. It doesn't mean you're going to be able to form a relationship with everybody you approach, but approach your favorites first. And the second one is, is, be loyal to people who are good to you. And I think that that's something that, is true of everything. You know, I tell, I, I tell that to my daughter all the time. If somebody's good to you and you're happy, be loyal. You know, it's the grass is always greener on the other side of the paddock, pun intended, but, um, you know, is, is really, really recognize and value the relationships that can be long-term and productive. Although we Feel sometimes like the sport is huge the community is actually very small and you can only do so much hopping around before people see that lack of loyalty and you know if you're going to make big changes whether it's brands or barns or trainers or whatever that um, you, you only have a certain number before it changes how people perceive you and and so I would say definitely loyalty I think is a definitely something that's undervalued and under and underappreciated in the sport but um when you find the right fit don't stop looking you know just be happy where you are
0: that's such good advice because I like the analogy as far as you know not just these types of relationships but also with trainers and riders and barns and and everything Um, the grass is always greener (laughs) Uh, it's so true you know you do I even as a coach I have my guard up to certain people that have kind of hopped around and are circling back it's like and then you just either expect those people you don't expect loyalty from them so that's a great yeah thing
1: to be made. yeah I think too I mean on that I mean we've you know when my daughter was riding we changed barns, and and you're always conscious of what what the appearance is. And I think one lesson that I've learned from my own experience and just from people I know is to, you know, really try and reserve judgment about that. And that there can be so many different reasons why any relationship not just a trainer one but you know a sponsorship one doesn't work or whatever but social media has kind of conditioned us to screenshot it and send it to a friend and say oh my gosh did you see you know and and we have that immediate reaction to think we know why someone did something and really at the end of the day you you don't you know in the same way you don't know why somebody reacts a certain way you know we always say that you don't you know you don't know what's going on behind the scenes with people. And I think that's true of any change that people make, but, you know, brands that suddenly shift and everybody speculates that they're going out of business or the owner has a personal problem. You know what I mean? Like we have to stop that. Right. And really just, um, you know, take people for what they, they bring to us. But I think that conversely what we bring to people has to be legit. Yeah. You know. I, I'm not a perfect person I've made my mistakes and we all and we all have I think I'm probably at the point in my life now right you know reflect on things that I would do differently and I take you know as a business person or as a parent or as a human not even related to horses and we kind of say okay how are we going to take that forward I think we've all become a lot more introspective especially in the past couple of years but yeah be thoughtful about your relationships I think is really really important value the people that value you
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So for anyone who has an idea in mind or a product, where do you suggest that they start? Where is the first step?
1: Research. uh, I'm a really big, I'm really big on, on research. I've said it a few times, but um, when you are bringing a new product or service or idea into any market, you have to be doing, you know, one of two things. You have to either be filling a space where a product doesn't exist already, or you have to be bringing a new and unique spin to something that does exist already. If your business plan is simply to undercut pricing on something that already exists, you're probably not gonna last that long because people see everything, (laughs) you know? And so sit down, decide what your values are gonna be as a business and as a person, do your research. And and execute after you have a plan. Um, Christy and I talk about it all the time about how one of the things we wish we'd each done at the beginning of our businesses is laid out, you know, clear goals, and that, that's always a moving target. But um, it's it's definitely something that you know it's a do as I say, not as I did. So mm-hmm. sit, sit down and really research and plan and crunch the numbers. Yeah, yeah, The numbers don't, they just don't lie.
0: (laughs) And that's a hard thing for people who are passionate, myself included, is that you can, you can sometimes be a little resistant with the numbers because you're so passionate about an idea. And one of the lessons that I've learned is, is unfortunately, you just have to be very honest with yourself about what the numbers are telling you versus what like your logic and your passion is telling you. Um, And I think that lots of people in the space in general, they deal with that, you know, they have a lot of resistance around it um, because you can be so like invested in an idea. And that's why having a plan first is really helpful instead of retroactively, retroactively kind of like looking at things and being like, well, ah, maybe I'll just close my eyes and keep going. Yeah,
1: I so- think a lot of young writers tran- transitioning from junior writers whose bills are paid by their parents to, you know, adult amateur riders who are trying to, you know, have their own apartment and a horse and horse show, that numbers crunch reality is really a a big one, because, you know, we all want to live the dream, but the dream, you know, even if you don't horse show, owning a horse is not free, and so that, you know, you you have to crunch the numbers.
0: Yeah, you know, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and that led well into, I think, I mean, I don't know if you have anything else to add because my my next question was kind of what do you feel are the major mindset shifts behind a successful entrepreneur and how do equestrians avoid getting stuck in positions that involve their passions, which are horses, but don't support their lives financially, which is kind of what we're just touching on now. But,
1: you know, I had a conversation with my daughter. Gosh, she was probably 14. So it's probably six years ago. And I I said to her, Really sit down and think about because she was in that. You know, we can't afford a pony that's expensive enough to or priced well enough or the caliber right caliber to get her to the top three at the Royal yeah. or get her to pony finals. And I said to her, At some point in your life, you're gonna have to sit down and decide what will make you happy, and you know that we have things beyond that, that are wonderful dreams to have, but where would you be happy? You know, if you landed in this spot, would you be satisfied? And I, and I said to her, a lot of people in the sport, kids come up, they think, oh, the, the Olympics are the pinnacle of equestrian sport. And I said to her, you know that you can never go to the Olympics, but still show against some of the top riders in classes. You know in lower level classes that you uh, this was before ian retired from international school but i said to her you know someday you could ride in a class against ian miller you could beat ian miller in a class someday but it doesn't necessarily have to be the olympics so you can find a life that is workable that checks all of those happiness and dream boxes off but Just maybe is a slight modification from the Olympic dream you know and that just write your own story and choose your own path I think that especially in the hunter jumper world kids are brought up to do ponies and then children's hunters and then there's a definite progression for kids who want to make it in the sport that they do these divisions and then these divisions and um, you don't have to and that you can kind of find your own find your own way so I think that that's the big mindset shift is to you don't have to subscribe to any particular formula yeah. Really yeah. Of, de- of development or money you know yeah, that, yeah I mean you, you know resources have to come from somewhere and if you do want to show at a high level then you know you have to find a way to make those resources happen but Maybe you would also be okay being a stockbroker by day and an adult amateur by evening and weekend, and that maybe you don't need to be an Olympic rider to be blissfully happy with horses. You just maybe can paint a little bit of a different picture, and I think that's true of business owners too, right? Oh, and huh. I, I, I would say starting my barn child too. You know, initially you have these big visions of I'm going to own you know, the pottery barn version of the equestrian version of pottery barn, or, you know, you have these like lofty ideas. And then a few years into it, you're like, actually, I'm very happy where this is. I'm satisfied with where it is. So that shifting mindset sometimes and being flexible is, is super important. And I think that that flexible mindset is what saw a lot of business owners through the pandemic.
0: Yes. Yeah, for sure and it like you talking about kind of that little bit of a a shift in perspective brings me back to like I've had a lot of Olympic writers on the podcast and one of the conversations that's kind of standing out to me when you're saying that is uh with Ian Roberts I talked to him quite a lot about his kind of pursuit of the Olympics because it was a very long pursuit and in retrospect, of course, it's a huge accomplishment and accolade to anybody's career and all of the writers that have participated, obviously, that's like a highlight of their life. But he just said, you know, I kind of wish maybe I had been a little bit more um, focused on what was happening in the journey than just getting there, because he spent a lot of time and effort just focused on that one thing. Um And in reality what brings you happiness is the process with horses um most people I mean some people might have a different perspective but yeah it's just an interesting note that kind of popped in my head because there is not enough room on the Olympic team for every single rider
1: (laughs) but there's enough
0: room in the sport for everyone somewhere yeah not even be in the competition ring right yeah Um, and so so lastly just we were talking about Eden. So she's working at and Equestrian. Can you talk about your experience parenting in the horse world and some of the advice that you have for parents whose children are currently involved in the sport? Because I think that's a bit of a different perspective than we've had on so far. Um, you know, I've had a lot of riders who have children but they're, the, they're kind of the ones doing the, the riding. So definitely something that I'm sure many of the, our audience members would be interested to hear.
1: Yeah, oh gosh, I could write a whole book on that subject. (laughs) Um, I think my perspective is a little bit different because I have had horses in some capacity my whole life. So when I walk into a barn, I do know what I'm looking at, whereas a lot of parents who are new to the sport, they don't know. But I think that that's the key is even as a parent who's had horses when it comes to a discipline that you've never shown in or a circuit that you've never shown on that you don't know what you don't know. And so the, the trainer relationship is very, very important. And it, but it's very complicated matchmaking because you're matchmaking between the trainer, the child, the animal or animals and the parent, like you, you are included in that. And it is complicated relationship even between any coach and a parent because you're paying somebody to be the boss of your child. And sometimes in some ways, you're also paying for the trainer to be the boss of you in terms of what pony you should buy and what saddle you should buy and what divisions your child should be in, but that you're also a customer, you know, who's, you know, paying the bills every month. So that can be complicated Mm -hmm. because you, um, are a customer, but you're also a student in some way of the trainer as well. It's not just your kid that's learning from the trainer; it's you too. And what I have learned over the years from experiences, good and bad, um, is that, or let's say, good and could have been and could have been better. And all that, but um, is is communicate is communicating. But I mean, that's true of any relationship in your life. But, you know, as a parent, it's your job to advocate for your child in their relationship with the horse, in their relationship with the sport, as a competitive athlete, um, in their relationship with the trainer, but also as somebody who's, you know, spending a lot on a sport. And um, sometimes it, it helps to get some guidance on how to navigate that. Um, I mentioned earlier that I work with a sports psychologist, um, Darby Nomi, and um, I think you're going to have her on the podcast actually soon. But um, so she she works with parents on how to kind of handle that high performance environment and the relationships, because it is so multifaceted. And I, I wish in hindsight that I had had somebody outside the relationships to give me perspective and guidance on how to handle that for my child's enjoyment, for my enjoyment and, and for a better relationship for everybody, you know, with the trainer and the horses and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I would definitely say you seek out resources, seek out help. Sometimes talking to other parents is helpful. Sometimes it's not, (laughs) right? So um, it's hard. Anytime you put your child in a competitive environment, there's naturally going to be challenges, you know, and anytime you're trying to raise a child who's high performance and puts a lot of pressure on themselves, there are challenges. So I would definitely say don't rely on yourself, just like with anything else. If you are having trouble navigating a situation, find a professional to help you. You found a professional to help your child navigate riding and, maybe find a professional to help you navigate your child navigating riding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's, so.
0: it's, it's, yeah, it's a definitely a fine balance. Those relationships are really hard to make sure there's synergy all around the board. You know, it's not, you know, it doesn't stop somewhere. There's boundaries, there's communication. It's like all relationships. So definitely something that I'm sure money anybody who's listening who's you know kids are in this sport um just basically trusting your intuition and being able to have open conversation is definitely one of the things that i would say um a- an unbiased opinion as you mentioned i think is a huge yeah. one. we
1: we get guidance with a lot of different relationships in our our lives so it makes sense that we yeah. would maybe maybe look for some guidance from that but Like I said, maybe other parents aren't always the best place to go, um, but that an outside perspective and, and definitely other trainers that are not your trainer are not a good place to go, (laughs) you know? So, yeah, yeah, it, it, it definitely is probably one of the trickier aspects of parenting that I experienced was finding our way through that, you know, how to raise a child that was achieving as many of her goals as possible in as healthy a way as possible Mm -hmm. um so for for sure i can sympathize with parents who are going through that yeah you you walk into a barn and it's over a big happy family and it's not until 10 years later that you realize that maybe that's a red flag (laughs) but um you know you don't you don't like i said it just comes back to you don't really know what you don't don't know and sometimes you just need help with ha- how to how to see the things that you don't yeah necessarily. don't necessarily yeah
0: no that's great advice I um I think we skipped a couple of things but honestly we touched on a lot of really important points that um, some of them that we haven't even touched on just yet in the podcast so I really appreciate oh. you taking time oh. to record this with me and and talk about your own personal experience because I'm sure there's lots of People and parents, and uh, that will resonate. I mean, the coaches, kind of, just or professionals navigating the industry. Um, and I will let everyone know who's listening. You know, if they want to reach out to you with any questions, um, and give them those resources. But yeah, it was great. Thank you so well, much. Well, thank
1: yeah, thank you for having me on, and I'm glad we had too much to talk about.
0: Okay. There you have it, guys. That is everything for today's interview. Make sure you go follow my barn child and reach out to Avril. I hope you guys loved it. Um, it was very interesting. I think a lot of these topics are definitely prevalent in the industry right now. Uh, so want to bring more of that to light in conversation for sure. I will be back next week um, with another very interesting and different podcast interview for you guys. If you have any suggestions, you can always reach out to me at equestrian at gmail.com and I will see you guys next week.